All right, go with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament, and this is actually stuff that we have kind of glossed over before in our summer series, going over the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, we didn't get to go into it in great detail, but I want to look at it, Matthew chapter 6, there are some things that Jesus says about prayer, even before he gets into the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, and I want us to look at verse 5 and 6. Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. I'm reading from the New King James and Jesus. This is his word, so my Bible has it in red letters. It says, when you pray, you shall not be like the who? The hypocrites. Okay. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by who? By men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you... When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. All right, this is a very interesting passage, and and thereafter, Jesus gets into a little bit more of kind of the practices that were very common in that day, where prayer was more of a public show rather than personal, genuine, honest communication with God. And Jesus calls that hypocrisy. Jesus says, hey, don't pray like the hypocrites. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. I mean, I just, I just prayed for us, right, in public. Okay, Kim just led a prayer for us in, in public. There's nothing wrong with public prayer, but there was something wrong about that practice where all they were doing in prayer was only and merely for the people that were around, right? It wasn't about their connection with God, and that's what Jesus is saying in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go where? Go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And so there's nothing wrong with public prayer, but public expressions of prayer, public expressions of of any sort of piety or religious practice without the personal. The public expression without the personal experience, that's where hypocrisy comes into play. Does that make sense? Without, Without having that on a personal level, everything that we do outwardly that other people can see, is just for show, and specifically when it comes to prayer. So when we lack private prayer, this is what happens. Our public prayers tend towards meaninglessness. When we lack, pub- or, excuse me, when we lack that personal connection with God, our, our public expressions of, of love for God and devotion to God, that becomes vain and empty, just going through the motions as though the motions themselves had merit, as though the motions themselves are doing any good. But really, when it comes to now just kind of applying this principle to our pursuit of being a house of prayer, a house of prayer in the public sphere, you know, presenting ourselves to the community and say, hey, we are a house of prayer. You know, if we're presenting ourselves as a house of prayer in the public public sphere as a community saying, hey, this is who we are, but we don't experience prayer on the home base, then there's there's a sense of hypocrisy there too. Do do you follow what I mean? Uh, Again, that public show without the personal experience, this is where meaningless happens. And so this is why we're talking about becoming a house of prayer and we're specifically addressing the home base, the home base. Go with me to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there's a very interesting illustration of this you know, public and private experience. And, and I think the early church, the church that the apostles were leading out by the power of the Holy Spirit, they really experienced both dynamics. So we're in Matthew, just go a little bit to the right, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 
and then Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And some of you know this passage. If you haven't, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. This is essentially the, the birth of the New Testament church. God's Spirit is poured out. <clears throat> if only our prayers were that noticeable and that urgent, you know? And I think God hears that too, you know? Like, again, He, he wants us to address Him as our Father. And I think there's reason to that. Because we really are dependent kids. Um, yeah, anyway, so here, Book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, there's this picture of the early church as the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in what else? In prayers, okay? These are things that they continued in, and it says they continued steadfastly. So it wasn't sporadic. It wasn't as it was convenient, but it was something that they continued in steadfastly. And for those of you who were at Ty Gibson Seminar last night, he kind of uh, spoke on these ideas too and just like what the church is all about. But I love that one of the main ingredients, one of the main components, one of the major dynamics of the early church and of God's church today ought to be prayer, to continue steadfastly in prayer. And then later on, down in verse 46, it says this, So continuing daily with one accord in the where... In the temple and breaking bread from where else? From house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I love this verse. Why? Because when you are God's church, you will eat. Okay, no, that's, that's not the, the only reason. Uh, but, but there's something about this that, that we were just talking about. There's a public experience of the, of the church dynamic and there's also the personal. There, there's also something that happens on the home front. And you see it there. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. In other words, their religious experience didn't just stay at the church. Their religious experience was strengthened on the home front too. At, at the home base, so to speak. Um, homes then... According to this picture of, of the, the early church, homes not, ought to be not just a hub for hospitality, but a place of prayer. And let's admit, you know, our homes are not always a place, a place of prayer. Maybe you are the only one in your home that would even consider praying. Maybe you've got kids who are already out of the house. Maybe you've got kids that you're trying to raise up to actually desire to pray, um, but wherever you are in your home life situation, I believe that every one of us would agree that we want to experience prayer on the home front, right? No matter what kind of family situation you are in, we all want to become homes of prayer. There's a really neat acronym that I heard recently, HOPE, Homes of Prayer Everywhere. And maybe that's something that we ought to strive for, to experience homes of prayer everywhere here in Castle Rock, that we would be able to model that as a community of faith, that we're not just a house of prayer, you know, in, in a corporate sense, but that we are a collective body of homes of prayer, yeah? So, homes of prayer. How do we experience prayer on the home front? Today, we're just going to go through five simple, uh, I guess you would call these five attitudes, or five mindsets of becoming or experiencing more prayer on the home front, on the home base, okay? So just work with us. We're going to just kind of travel through this very quickly. Um, 
Okay, enough said. Let's go. <laughs> All right. The first one is this, prayer at home. How do we do this? I think it first starts with this attitude or this mindset of thinking contagious. Thinking contagious. Maybe you have a home in which you're actually trying to instruct your children how to pray. Or maybe um, you have a spouse who has no desire to even talk to God or talk about God. Um, but there is something that we can still do to think contagious about prayer. In other words, there are some things about prayer that are better caught than taught. Do you understand what I mean by that? Some things are better caught than they are taught. Um, when it comes to prayer, it's not like uh, you want to go home and, um, okay, listen, children, this is how you fold your hand. I mean, you, you could, you could. You could get very didactic and start drawing diagrams of how to pray and things like that. But when it comes to prayer, sometimes the best place to start it's just by modeling it, demonstrating it, you know? Um, <clears throat> so this is what I mean by thinking contagious. Modeling prayer, it applies both in the parent-child relationship, sometimes in the child-parent relationship, right? Maybe we have more influence. Uh, maybe you have an unbelieving parent and you want to influence them. Um, it, it happens in the sibling-to-sibling relationship. It, it takes place in the spouse-to-spouse relationship. And according to Matthew 6, um, you know, we see this idea of, you know, public prayer. Maybe it's not necessarily a good thing, but no, don't, don't get Jesus' idea wrong. Public prayer can be a powerful thing. Like, Amy, you were just sharing that experience at work. It's not like you were praying publicly for everybody to hear, but there is something contagious about that, right? I think of the story of uh, Daniel, you know, three times a day, as his custom was, it says in Daniel 6, he prayed by his window, and what was he doing? Was he doing it for show? No, actually, he was actually doing it according to the word of God. Um, in Second Chronicles, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, you know, the, the original Solomon's temple, he, he says something. He's like, God, when your people go astray and when your people rebel against you and you take them captive by a foreign nation, when they start praying towards the temple, please hear them and please forgive them. And so generations later, Daniel knows the word of God and he says, hey, we're in a situation where we've rebelled. I'm going to pray towards the temple. <laughs> you know? And he's totally praying the word of God and he's thinking contagious about his prayer that actually there are people that, that witness that. Maybe there are other Hebrew captives who ought to be praying too. And he's not going to just like pound on the door and say, hey, you guys need to pray. No, he's going to model it. He's going to think contagious. I remember one of my earliest childhood memories of spirituality in the home you know every now and then um i would i wouldn't be asleep when i was told to go to bed <laughs> and so i would i would come out of my room and i would go to my parents bedroom and i have these visual memories of seeing my dad kneeling beside his bedside and i'd, I'd watch him there and he was there for a long, long time, to the point where I would wonder, did he just fall asleep in a really, really awkward position? No, but he was praying. And that was one of my early visuals of spirituality in the home. And that stuck with me. That stuck with me. And today, when I kneel, um, subconsciously, there's this picture of my dad kneeling, too. And, and that, I don't know, that, that really shapes the way that, that I pray. Not because he was teaching me in that moment, but he was being contagious in that moment. There's something about modeling prayer that can be very, very impactful, especially at a young age. Um, I think about uh, the way that Abraham, you know, Abraham such a, had such a close relationship with God, right? 
I mean, you read, it, you read his story starting, I think it's in Genesis 12, and then later in 15, and all these experiences where Abraham hears God speaking to him, right? You're like, man, how did he have this conversation with God all the time? In fact, in Genesis, uh, I think it's 18, he has three visitors come by his tent. He hosts them for a supper, and he finds out, whoa, this is God himself. And he's actually conversing with God. He's actually bargaining with God a little bit. We, we looked at that story a couple weeks ago. And um, anyways, Abraham had a very personal, very constant conversation with God. And what's neat about Abraham is that the Bible says that he instructed his household in the ways of God. And I, I caught this, this little snippet in Genesis 24. Oh, hold on. Uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. But in Genesis 24, verse 63, it says that Isaac, this is Abraham's son, right? His son of promise. And uh, it says that Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. You kind of wonder, where did he get that idea from? I bet he saw his daddy do it, right? I bet he saw his daddy do it. Let me go to this quote. This is from a, an article that was found on Focus on the Family, a Q&A um, response. It said, to say this another way, prayer is vital because it provides a practical demonstration of the importance of what? Of faith. Like when I pray about something, or when my parents pray about something, it must mean that they believe that God will do something about it. Like it's a demonstration. It's a practical demonstration of the importance of faith. Indeed, praying together is one of the most critical things you can do to pass your convictions on to the next generation. That's awesome. Kids need to see genuine faith acted out in their parents' lives. This is, man, so powerful. Actions speak louder than words, and that's so true, not just in the parent-child relationship, but spouse-to-spouse, sibling-to-sibling, whatever relationship, coworker-to-coworker, right? Actions speak louder than words. So let your children, or you can insert whoever it is that's around you in your sphere, at work, at school, let that acquaintance hear you bringing your needs and requests before the Lord in an attitude of humble expectancy. Not show, not, hey, this is how cool I pray. I I bet you wish you could pray like this too. When they do, they'll get the idea that our Heavenly Father can be trusted to guide us through every situation we encounter in life. I would love the people around me to know that. Right? There's something about praying that is contagious, that models that, that demonstrates that. So what would happen if at the work site something happens and you could curse, (laughs) you could complain, but what if instead you prayed? What would that do to the work environment? Whoa. What would that do in the home environment? It would model something of the importance of faith. I remember um, seeing this kind of played out. You know, Debbie is really a model of prayer to me. Um, hope it's okay that I talk a bit about Debbie here for a little bit. But um, she is someone that I think, like, really prays. And not just, like, really prays, but prays about everything. And there are certain times where we're like, okay, where do we go next? You know, we, we just got out of Costco and we're not trying to figure out our next errand or whatever. And she said, well, let's pray about it. I'm like, okay, just tell me where to go. <laughs> no, but let's pray about it. You know, it's, it's, it's this reality that she realizes, okay, I can make my own decisions. I can think this through. I can see pros and cons, but let's pray. Let's just trust God about it. Let's depend on God about it. And there was this one time where, um, <clears throat> and this is something, you know, in our car time, this happens all the time. Like we... We get in the car, we buckle seats, everybody's in, let's pray. 
you know, no matter where we're going, even if we do already know where we're going. But um, it was, uh, I think it was on Debbie's birthday a couple of years ago. Jaden was only like two years old or whatever. We decided to go on a hike. And, uh, or was it my birthday? I don't know. It was a hike. It was a nice, nice summer day. It was your birthday? Okay. It was a nice sunny day, I should say. <laughs> um, but like where we decided to hike was by some stagnant water, apparently. And the mosquitoes decided to hang out with us, too. And we were traveling, I don't know, maybe it was like three-quarters of a mile. It was a really short trail, but it seemed like an eternity because the mosquitoes just kept going after us. And Jaden, he was only old enough to be like in a carrier, you know, a front-front carrier here. But he was old enough to, to verbalize and talk and stuff. And so as we're going, I'm just like, man, this is terrible. And Jaden starts saying, dear God, thank you for the mosquitoes. <laughs> And he's praising God. Do you remember this? Yeah, I don't know if you remember. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for the mosquitoes. When we got back to the car, we like jumped in. I could count, you know, however many mosquitoes. And Jaden is mosquito bite free. I just thought, and to me, that really just like emblazoned it into my mind. Well, he's catching something at home. From my wife, probably, most of all. That you can pray in any situation about anything, and it shows the importance of prayer. There's something about prayer that can, that can be very contagious. So when it comes to praying on the home front, think contagious, all right? Think contagious. How about this one? Think concise. Think concise. If you're wanting to model more prayer in your home, it's hard when prayer becomes laborious and lengthy. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, again, thinking about my childhood memories um, a lot of my visual images of spirituality in the home are very blurry because they were often during times when I was very sleepy. <laughs> or else it was during times where I became sleepy. And, I, you know, talking about my dad, I love my dad, and I hope he listens to this, and I thank you so much for, or I thank him so much for his example. But there were times where his seasons of prayer, like we would pray going around the circle in the family, and my dad's prayer would just go on. And on. And so that's why, you know, my my visuals are very... Anyway, so think concise. When you're trying to increase prayer on the home front, think concise. What do I mean by this? Do you mean you need like a stopwatch or... No, no, no. I'm just saying preserve earnestness by saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Do you follow that? Yeah? Just be intentional, especially if you have younger children in the home. But it doesn't have to just be if you've got children in the home, but if you've got a spouse who's just kind of learning to pray or even considering the idea or whatever, um, it's just easier when you're able to kind of roll with the conversation. And this takes place, you know, in our social interactions too. When you're in a table group or having dinner or something like that, you're, you're in a group conversation and someone is doing all the talking. That can be very tiresome for everyone else or they may not feel like they can contribute to the conversation. And the same thing happens in prayer. We, we share the conversation in prayer. So think concise. And, and you know, thinking back to Matthew chapter 6, um, in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about not uh, saying vain repetitions. And the longer we go, the more vain repetition can kind of creep into that. Okay, so hopefully you follow what, what I mean. And the problem, again, isn't with the length of the prayer the problem is with losing earnestness and losing focus in prayer. Yeah. And so, again, this is about being concise, not for the sake of, of uh, rushing our time, not for the sake of, of uh, keeping to a time limit or whatever, but it's for the sake of guarding earnestness. Again, not to say that times of prayer should be rushed or condensed. 
but it should be concise. All right. So we're thinking contagious. We're thinking concise. And then this one. Let's think consistent. Want to increase prayer on the home front? Think consistent. Try to set some regular times of prayer. Um, Or maybe your schedules aren't very predictable. So maybe um, it's about just kind of coming together as a family and saying, okay, when can we pray this week? Or when can we pray today? That kind of thing. Um, at, At a young age in high school, I think I was a freshman, there was a chaplain who came to speak and he gave this acronym STOP, S T O P, set times of prayer. And I thought that was a really practical tool. And we see this biblically too. Again, thinking about the example of Daniel, what was his custom? How many times a day? It was three times a day. Actually, turn in your Bible with me to Psalm, Psalm 55, verse 17. And I wonder if this was a, a verse that Daniel was aware of that kind of instructed him in his prayer experience. Psalm 55, Psalm 55, it's in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 55, verse 17. Psalm 55, 17. If you're there, say, I'm there. Almost there. All right, here we go. <laughs> now, Psalm 55, verse 17. Again, this is a psalm of, I believe this is a, a written by David, King David. <clears throat> And in Psalm 55, verse 17, listen to his habit. It says, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. One, this communicates something about God, that anytime we want to call him, he's going to pick up the phone, right? But this also communicates something about David and his habit of prayer. As someone who is a man after God's own heart, how often did he pray? Evening, morning? noon. He was consistent about it. He was regular about it. And the value of that is that when we, there's something about consistency that communicates priority. Right? You think about the things that are very important to you. Those are probably things that you experience consistently. Eating, very important to me. And I do it pretty regularly, right? <laughs> okay? There, there are certain other things. And, and I think prayer ought to be there too. If we can develop consistency or regularity in prayer, it communicates priority, not just to us, but to those around us in our household. And so maybe you're wondering, okay, evening, morning, and at noon, maybe those can be my, my times. What, what is it? How do I go about setting times of prayer, or which times of prayer should I set? And I'll just give you a couple of suggestions. One, find your freshest times. Your freshest times. I think about the experience of Jesus, I think... I don't know if I have this up here. Yeah, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus had a habit of finding his freshest, most undistracted times. In the early morning, it says, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Why why would Jesus choose that time? Probably because as soon as daylight happened, people were looking for him. Okay. In fact, that's what you see in Mark chapter 1, verse 36 and 37. Peter's like, hey, Jesus, we finally found you. Everybody's looking for you. So find those times that are least distracted and where your mind can be the freshest. For Jesus, and I think for many of us, early morning is probably that time. For some of you, or some, I guess this is kind of me the other day. <laughs> I tried to get up early, but my mind was not there. <laughs> my body was willing, but my My mind was not. But whatever it is for you, find those fresh times, those undistracted times. Here's another suggestion. Not just fresh times, but find for your household impressionable times. Impressionable times. Uh, There's a verse in Deuteronomy. I I don't know if I have this up here. Okay. 
There's a verse in Deuteronomy. Let's take a look at this one. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. This is really powerful to me. It stood out to me just a couple of weeks ago when I heard it. I think it was on the radio or Debbie was reading an article for me in the car. It was Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And there's a principle here that I think we can apply to finding those impressionable times. If you're in Deuteronomy 6, go ahead and say, I'm there. Alright. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. I'll start in verse 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These are very important words to the Jewish nation. This is like kind of the, the daily proclamation that they would remind themselves of. In verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be where? In your heart. Okay, so God's instruction shall be in your, embedded in your life. And in verse 7, notice that it's not just in your heart, but he wants to pass that on on the home's heart. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is very interesting. That as God is giving instructions about how to influence the home base, how to increase spirituality in the home base, He says, you shall do it, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Okay, there are four impressionable times here that the Bible is outlining for us. When you sit in your house, when when do you usually sit in your house as a family? Dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a meal. At least that's what comes to my mind first. Um, And I think in this context, that would be it too. They probably didn't have TVs to sit in front of back then. Okay, so when they're thinking of their household, they're thinking of sitting time. That's mealtime. Mealtime is an impressionable time. That's when we can can pray together as a family. Um, there's, There's another one there. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. In other words, when you're going between places. And for us, in our context, we don't necessarily walk to Costco. We, we usually drive there, right? And, um, and so I think this is also identifying that car times can actually be a valuable, impressionable time. Um, it, no, it identifies two other things. When you lie down, that's when you go to bed. And when you rise up, that's when you get up in the morning. Right before bed, right after you awake in the morning, these are impressionable times too. If you're looking for some prime times to pray as a family, try praying at the dinner table. If you're looking for another prime time, try praying once you buckle in your seatbelt. If you're looking for another one, try right before bed. Maybe another one, right when you get up. These are impressionable times, and let's let's be honest. Impressionable times, I think what makes these impressionable times is the fact that they are transition times. These are transitions between activities, or these are transitions, like, kind of, they're they're natural spaces of just kind of openness. But the thing is that they can be easily filled with other things. Right before bed, you can easily fill your your time with internet, with TV, with a book, or whatever. But maybe we ought to fill it with prayer. Right when we get up, we could easily go to our devices again, you know? But what if we filled it with prayer? Um... When we sit around the table, I know that, you know, we, (laughs) 
in our household, um, as I got older, it seemed like our TVs got bigger. And um, our TVs became more and more visible from the dinner table. And uh, it kind of, it, it impacted our dinner conversation, actually. When um, prime time was on, that was also when we were eating. And so um, over the course of time, it didn't happen consistently, but this was just a trend that I noticed that, you know what, what if we turn that off for a little bit? You know, what if at the dinner table, it's a no phone policy or, you know, whatever the case and allow for some time to pray, allow for some time to, to strengthen the home base. Okay, so we're thinking consistent um, about fresh times and also impressionable times. But how about this one? Not just thinking contagious, thinking concise, thinking consistent, but also thinking concrete. Think concrete. When it comes to strengthening the home front, how do we do that? What do you mean think concrete? That means associate prayer to concrete things. Associate prayer to concrete experiences, actual physical things. And it tends to make prayer more real. Maybe you're the type to, that would really appreciate having a prayer journal. Like actually writing out my prayers totally transformed my prayer life. A lot of times my prayers were just, dear God, and this is silent, right? This is silent in my head. Dear God, and I have no idea what would happen for the next five, ten minutes. <laughs> but once I started journaling my prayers with, with, by hand, and now I do it on my computer, like it, it made my prayer life so much more real. Um, maybe you're the type that, um, you know, I've heard of people who have prayer cards who actually write a simple prayer and just kind of put it in their shirt pocket or put it on the dashboard of their car so that whenever they're kind of going here and there, that prayer would be reminded or it would be brought to mind for them. Or maybe um, like one family, they they would have a prayer jar in their home. You know, something uh, happens and they realize, oh, that's a blessing, and they want to write down a short little thank you prayer on a sticky note. They'll fold it in half and just put it in the jar. And it acts as a visual for everybody to see that, oh, wow, prayers are being answered or blessings are being received or maybe you have another jar where where you actually want to put prayer requests and every now and then as you're passing by the kitchen you can pull out a prayer request and pray for that for that person for that dynamic whatever the case it makes prayer visible it makes prayer central it's actually a real thing do you you see how thinking concrete could could change things a little bit Um, there's actually a really cool story in the old testament that i've been uh, reading through the story of samuel and Samuel's mom was a praying mom. Her name, does anybody know her name? Samuel's mom? Hannah, yeah. You find this, her story in the first two chapters of 1 Samuel, really powerful. And there's a really cool experience where, you know, Hannah realizes that Samuel is a gift from God, and so she wants to give him back to God, so to speak. And, and he, she lets Samuel work in the, the tabernacle, work alongside the high priest Eli, um, even as a young boy. But year by year, she would go to the tabernacle and visit him. And in 1 Samuel 2, verses 18 and 19, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. That's garments of a priest. So he was like a little priest. Um, In verse 19, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Really special, you know? She actually wove this thing for him. And this is what really stood out to me when I read this in Patriarchs and Prophets. It says, When separated from her child, the faithful mother's solicitude did not cease. Okay, so if you know Hannah's story, Hannah prayed for a baby and was given Samuel. So she was a praying mom. 
But even when she brought Samuel to Eli and said, hey, I'm dedicating Samuel to the Lord for his service, when separated from her child, the faithful mother's solicitude did not cease. She kept praying for him. Okay, this is cool. Every day, he was the subject of her prayers. Every year, she made with her own hands a what? A robe of service for him. And as she went up with her husband to worship at Shiloh, she gave the child this reminder of her love. Oh, sweet, sentimental. But notice, 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 notice. Okay. Every fiber of the little garment had been woven with a prayer that he might be pure, noble, and true. Hannah thought concrete about prayer. When she was making this robe for Samuel, oh, Lord, guard and protect him. He's got so many influences around him, even in the temple. Please, Lord, make him pure and noble and true. And this is true. Eli's sons, older sons, who are also serving as priests, they were not a good example. I'm sure Hannah was very aware of this. Oh, Lord, please help him. And so keep him pure and noble and true. Hannah thought concrete about prayer. And we can think concrete not just about concrete objects, but uh, like you were saying, Lexi, concrete experiences. Like when we're driving, we can pray. When we're walking, we can pray. I have a friend um, back in California. She had a 55-minute commute uh, to her work back and forth. No, not 55. 45-minute commute back and forth one way. And she said that, uh, you know, on her drive, when she came to a certain billboard, she would pray a certain way. And when she came to this landmark, she would start saying thank you prayers. And when she came to this, she would start saying request prayers, you know, that kind of thing. And so maybe you've got a commute. Maybe you've got certain things in your regular experience. Hey, let those concrete things remind you to pray. Yeah? So think concrete. Think concrete about your prayers. So we've got think contagious, think concise, think consistent, think concrete. Last one here is to think chorus. Think chorus. Do you realize that singing can be as much an act of worship as prayer? (laughs) I mean, Jose mentioned that a little bit earlier in our family time, that singing has this emotional impact. Last night, Ty was talking about the social dynamic of singing. And that's the, the, the cool thing about singing, is that we can be praying out loud in a way at home that um, others can join in on. You know, there's something about a song that, um, that others can start singing along with you, and they're praying in that experience too, whether they know it or not. <laughs> and maybe you, you're in a home dynamic where your singing isn't really appreciated. That may be the case. Then whistle, maybe you can whistle. No, I don't know. Um, but again, think contagious about that too. You know, your, your choruses, hey, if it's a joyful noise, it's a joyful noise to the Lord, okay? Um, but again, think chorus. And, and the biblical dynamic or the biblical basis for this, I mean, you see this in the book of Psalms, the very fact, did, did you know that psalm actually means song? Did you know that? Psalm actually means song. It's the longest book of the Bible, 150 chapters. And it's right in the middle of it. Which means that right in the very heart of the religious experience of God's people ought to be songs of prayer to God. Yeah? Psalm 42, verse 8 is a really prime example. I think we have it up here. Do we? No, we don't. All right, Psalm 42, 8. Um, Man, let me just read this here quick. I love this. Psalm 42, verse 8. It says, The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, 
His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It just seems like song and prayer is very interchangeable there. God's song is with you, and and it's almost as if our songs to Him are exactly that. They're a prayer. So what are the songs that you can pray to God? You know, for me, a lot of the the most common song um, that comes as a prayer out of my heart is, I need thee every hour, every hour I need thee. Or maybe it's just as simple as, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. These are prayers. These are prayers. When you're singing these things, these are prayers. When your kids join you, when your spouse joins you, these are prayers that you can pray together. So, those five components, I'm sure there are more, but if you're hoping to grow or to increase or to strengthen prayer in your home experience on the home front, think contagious, think concise, think consistent, concrete, and chorus. As we wrap up today, I'm just wondering... You know, I think every one of us would agree that we would want to experience more prayer on the home front. Which of these can we put into practice in the next week or two? You know? Which of these can we start thinking more along the lines of to actually become a home of prayer everywhere? Um, is it to, to think contagious? Maybe there are others that, that you want to teach so much about prayer, but they're not necessarily open, and so you'll just model it. You'll settle for, not settle, I shouldn't say settle, but you'll opt for modeling that, that dynamic of relying on God in prayer. Is it about being, uh, being con- concise and just kind of keeping things short, simple, keep it simple, right? Um, <clears throat> or is it about being consistent where you can communicate the priority of prayer through your regularity? Or is it about being con- concrete, having something physical, something new, something fresh that, that the people in your household can, ca- can grab a hold on? Or maybe it's about thinking of just one or two courses that you can start teaching in the household this week. Uh, whatever it is, I hope that you can find at least one, at least one of these ways to think, these attitudes, these mindsets. And may God make us a home of prayer. Um, I'm going to ask Debbie to, to lead us in a song that may be familiar to you, may be unfamiliar, um, but I want to encourage us to sing this together. And the reality is that, uh, let's see, and the, the song title is um, As For Me and My House, We Will Serve the Lord. And, you know, maybe some of us, again, our home dynamics are not united in serving God. Um, and so maybe this can be a prayer of, of faith that God would make our homes united in serving God. And I would also just say, hey, consider this, your home, your family, that we can unite together in serving God, choosing this day to serve God.